My parents told me the first phrase that I ever said was, my do it. My do it. Can I help you with that, Joseph? No, my do it. Right? Like, I had a my do it mentality. I was rebellious at a very young age, right? You combine the rebelliousness with the my do it mentality, and that makes up for a good concoction of dysfunction, right, in the family. Uh, and so um, we see that in this text tonight in Genesis 27. We see a, a crazy dysfunctional family. Now, we're probably not going to have as much fun tonight as my family had this morning as we were doing family worship, and we reenacted Genesis 27, which is pretty great because, like, you have, the, you have the dad, the mom, the older brother, and the younger brother, and we got to reenact this, so it was a lot of fun. Um, we're not going to have as much fun <laughs> together doing that, but we're going to see that, like, Isaac and Rebecca's marriage is kind of like on the rocks. Like, it's not doing good. Like, the, the division, the, the tension, um, the hostility in this marriage, in this, in this relationship between the siblings and mom and dad, it, it's not a pretty picture. Uh, and so um, you're going to pick up on a lot on the my do it mentality here tonight. But the main idea basically of the, of the message, I want to give it to you up front and we'll see how we get there, is that God is faithful to accomplish his plans even in spite of of human unfaithfulness. It's unbelievable that God could use our sin to accomplish his plan. But we're going to see that in this passage tonight, that God still uses mess-ups, he uses mistakes to accomplish his plan. And last week, if you remember, Brody preached Genesis 26. The way that chapter ended sets up, it's very important for context for this chapter, because the way that chapter ended told us that Esau went and married two Hittite women, and that was counter to what God instructed for Abraham to do. Remember, Abraham was like, I'm going to find a wife for my, my son, and it's not going to be amongst the pagan nations, right? And so we see Esau automatically um, doing the opposite of what maybe his parents want, his grandparents want, what the Lord wants. And so um, Isaac surely would have taken much care to uh, have the same um, search for a godly wife, for a wife who believes in Yahweh, but Esau went his own way. And so he, he already is making these unwise decisions. He's already sold his birthright right? He was a bonehead in that move. Um, and so he, he's shown he doesn't value the word of the Lord. He doesn't value the covenant of the Lord. He doesn't value or honor his father and his mother. And he's confirming once again by choosing these wives that, that he's going he's gonna to have it his way. He's going to do what he wants to do, right? He's not going to submit to the Lord or his parents. And because of his poor choices, it says that he made his parents' lives bitter, I mean, I, I know I made my parents' lives bitter growing up too. Maybe you did as well. But here, this is very strong language, right? And, and I don't want to knock Esau too hard because Jacob makes some boneheaded decisions as well, right? In fact, all four of the characters in this narrative make horrible decisions. There's not one hero in this story besides the Lord. Right? But, but, but the, the four characters provide a good structure for us in this passage. Isaac, Rebecca, and then Jacob and Esau. And we're going to see that. We're going to walk through it together. Right? But acquiring the blessing from Isaac is the key theme 
that everything is centered around in this passage. So that's the key theme, is the, the covenant blessing. And so who's going to receive the Lord's blessing? That's what this passage is going to answer. But let's pray before we dive into verse 1 in Genesis 27. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for meeting us where we are here tonight. That every person uh, in this room, every person listening, Lord, online and, and in the future, Lord, you know what we need to hear. And we need your word. We need your spirit to speak to our hearts and our minds. And we need you to expose sin. We need you to open up our eyes to see the truths that we can't see. We need you to bring us out of darkness into light. Lord, we need you to deliver us. And we need you to teach us so that we could look more like you, so that we could bring you more glory and honor. And I pray that we would submit to the truths found in your word tonight, humbly. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Genesis 27, starting in verse one, says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. And he said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow. Go out to the field and hunt game for me. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. So even though Esau has made some super poor choices and he is not the son chosen by God to receive the covenant promises from God, he's still Isaac's favorite. And you remember back in, in chapter 25 when Isaac was loving Esau because of what he provided for him, right? And so here, Isaac's like, hey, take your bow and arrow, go get me a flame and yawn, and then I'll bless you, right? So that, that's what he's really focused on here. Has anybody ever been to like one of those Brazilian steakhouses? Yeah, a few of you. It's an experience, right? It is, if you've never been before, it's one of those places where like they give you, you, you go, you play, you pay like one fee. You go in, you have uh, your coaster, it's either red or green. If it's green, then they're gonna bring by just unlimited amounts of meat on a skewer for you. It is a five cents experience, right? Like you're sitting there, not, not cents as in like five cents, it was like 60 bucks to get in there. But like five senses, like all of your senses. You're sitting there and like you're watching all of this meat walk by and, and, and you're smelling it. You hear it sizzle, you know, and, and you're like, oh my gosh, this smells amazing. It looks amazing. It sounds amazing. They come by and they're like, would you like to try some lamb? And you're like, sure, why not? And they, and they cut it off and you get to grab it and feel it before you put it in your mouth and taste it, right? It's a five cents experience. This is like, like Isaac would have loved this place, okay? But like what we're gonna see in this passage is a, a five cents experience. And as we walk through it, you're gonna get to, to see that, that all five senses are there. And there's a big emphasis, like actually, Eight times in this passage, the word game is used. So there's a lot of talk about food in this passage and, and tasty food or delicious food. That's actually said six times in this passage. So the focus for Isaac is on what he craves. It's on his senses instead of on the Lord and what he's about to do, what he's supposed to pass on. 
So, so Isaac is physically and spiritually blind, okay? And he's focused on what his belly craves. He's not thinking about the covenant promises of Yahweh that he's supposed to pass on to his son that God has chosen. He's, he's actually ignored the revealed will of God by being bullheaded and choosing Esau over Jacob, even though God said Jacob over Esau. Now, I'm sure that we could all say the same thing. We, we've chosen our way over the revealed will of God. In, in one passage, um, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it says, for this is the will of God. If you, if you never if you've ever asked that question before, what's God's will for my life? There you go, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. What is it? This is the will of God, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. God's will is your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality, that you would learn to control your own body in a way of uh, self-control, holding, and, uh, and honoring the Lord with your body. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but I have disobeyed that. We all struggle with self-control right? We've all lusted before. We've all dishonored the Lord with our body, and, and we've all chosen to ignore God's will. We see that in our culture. We see that in our families. We see that in our individual lives, and so here Isaac, he, he might be physically blind, blind, but he is also spiritually blind, and, and he's ignoring God's revealed will for his family, and, and he's, he thinks even that he could pull the wool over God's eyes, by blessing Esau in secret in his tent. And this, honestly, it wasn't Isaac's blessing to give. It was the Lord's. In his commentary, Sidney Greganus said, Isaac is blind in more ways than one. He insists on passing the blessing on to Esau. So the sin of the father would impact the rest of the family. I think that's a principle we can learn from this passage. Dads, this is a big deal. The, the weight of a father's sin is heaviest. The weight of a father's sin is heaviest. The drama in this story is so good, we, we, we don't need much commentary on it. So let's continue reading in verse 5. It says, Now Rebekah, when she was listening, when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, so did you pick up on the division in the family? Like the dysfunction, the, the favoritism, what that's led to? The narrator doesn't say Esau is their son. It says his son. And then Jacob says her son. So it literally, the favoritism is, is stark, right? And you're going to pick up on it even more as we continue. And she says, I heard your father speak to your brother, Esau, bring me game. Prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Here's my, my way. I'm going to have my way. You ready for the scheme? She's masterful. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, 
Let not your curse be, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. And so he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. And then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son, Jacob. What an elaborate ruse, right? This is a pure scheme, right? And she's about to trick her husband. He's about to trick his father. Can you imagine how absolutely ridiculous Jacob must have looked? And felt like he goes and gets these goats for his mom to cut up and prepare for the good meat. But then she's like, no, we're, don't, don't waste that. We're going to use the skin to put on your, your arms and on your neck. You're covered in goat skin, right? And you're going to go up to your dad. Re- remember that Rebecca, she loved Jacob more than Esau. And she didn't want Esau to get the blessing, right? But she also, Esau is like causing her life to be horrible. Like she's like, he, he's causing my life to be bitter because of all his wives. I definitely don't want him to get the blessing. She's got a lot of motivation here, but maybe also perhaps she has remembered that the Lord himself said the older will serve the younger. And so nevertheless, she doesn't go about getting Jacob the blessing in the right way, in the loving way, she thinks that God needs help in order to accomplish his plan. So she concocts a plan to fool her husband to swindle Esau out of the firstborn inheritance. And it shouldn't be lost on us that Rebecca is being a masterful manipulator here in this scene. That she is completely disrespecting her husband. That, that she's not choosing to follow in his leadership. Surely the Lord would have worked out something. We don't know what, but she, we know this, that she's manipulating. And we know that Jacob seems to be a logical thinker, right? And he seems to be kind of leery. He's like, but wait, mom, don't you know that like my brother's like a lot hairier than me? Like dad's going to know. He's going to know immediately that it's not me. Like that I, that I am not Esau, that I'm Jacob. And his hesitancy here is, is not that he's like, but mom, we shouldn't lie. No, that's not his hesitancy. He has no moral objection to this, right? Like, because we see later he's excellent at it. He doesn't need any help in that regard. Like his, his objection is I could get cursed instead of blessed. So, so it, there's no moral objection from Jacob. And we, I think it's important to remember this too. These aren't little boys we're talking about. These aren't teenage boys either, okay? Think, think like 40-year-old men. So it's not like Re- Rebecca's twisting his arm to do this, okay? So each character is responsible for their own individual choices, just as we are today. We're all responsible for the choices we make and how we live our lives, and who we listen to. Look at verse 18. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Lie. 
I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. Like these are bold-faced lies, right? And Isaac may be old and blind, but he wasn't born yesterday, right? He's not buying it that quickly. He, he's already very suspicious. Look at verse 20. It says, Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found the game so quickly, my son? And he answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. So now Jacob has stooped even lower, right, in his lying game. This time he, he lies using God's name. This is straight up blasphemy. He's using God's name to support his lie, to back up his lie. And, and notice how, once again, all five senses are at play in the narrative. Isaac still doesn't believe Jacob. Look at verse 21. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son, Esau, or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. So Jacob can't change his voice, right? One, one commentator was like, tenors uh, have a, a very difficult time of singing bass. Like he can't change his voice, right? So his dad's like, Man, you don't sound like Esau, but you feel like Esau. And, and he didn't recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's. So he blessed him, and he, and he said, Are you really my son, Esau? And he answered, I am. And then he said, Bring it to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. And so he brought it to, near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And so he's like, I'm going to test you again. He's testing using his senses to test his son, right? He, he didn't pass the, the hearing test. They did t he, he passed the filling test. Now he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test you with the food. I'm going to see if you really, if you prepared it like Esau did. And so Jacob doubles down on his lie, saying, again, I am your son, right? Which I think there's a principle we could learn here from this passage, that sin never travels alone. Sin isn't a solo thing. It always has companions, right? Like if, if you lie, then you need more lies to cover up other lies. So, so Jacob is proving to be a really good liar. And, and Jacob ridiculously dishonors his father. And he doesn't trust God's word or God's plan. But Isaac has one more test of his senses before he blesses him. It's the scent test. And then his father, Isaac, said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. Verse 27. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. So Jacob deceptively aced the scent test thanks to Rebekah's plan. She went into Esau's closet. She got Esau's clothes. And so the covenant is passed from Abraham to Isaac and now to Jacob. And I think the blessing, before we read the blessing that Isaac says, we need to understand that it's in four parts. And so it's, it's kind of like a four-part poem, if you will. And I know since you love alliteration, then it's four Ps. So if you're a note-taker, it's prosperity, provision, it's position and protection, right? Prosperity, provision, position and protection. Here's the blessing that he says. See the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. So this is the Lord's prosperity. Now you're going to prosper. The Lord's blessing you. Verse 28, may God give you of the dew of heaven. 
And this is provision. Right? One commentator said, dew is a favorite Hebrew metaphor for God's goodness in providing abundance and invigoration. And of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. So you're going to have meat. You're going to have food. You're going to have drink. It's going to be the fruit of the land is going to be yours. Verse 29, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. This is position, right? This is political power. It's status. Be Lord over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. You've got family position here. You've got leadership in the family. You've got the inheritance now. You're going to be the leader. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. So protection and blessing. The entire theme of this passage is centered around this blessing. The Hebrew word for blessing is barak. This, this blessing is repeated. It's God's promise to Abraham. It's showing that Jacob was the one now to carry on the blessing that God has promised back in Genesis 12. And you remember, we've already seen all five of the senses. We're, see, we're gonna continue to see them play out. But Isaac's eyes, right, he, he, he failed to see both physically and spiritually. His ears, the failure to discern for, for Isaac, eavesdropping for Rebecca. She was really good at that. She used her ears really well. We're gonna see that even more in this passage as we continue on. Mouth taste, this is kind of central for Isaac. Ironically, he would be deceived by this sense. He didn't pick up on the fact that this wasn't something Esau made. This was something Rebecca made. And maybe Rebecca was a little sour. She was like, he doesn't, he thinks that Esau can cook better than me. She deceived him, right? His senses were deceived. And so that's pretty... She could have been hurt by that. Hands, Isaac wanted to touch to feel his son's hairy arms. And, and since he couldn't see, he was deceived by the sense of touch. And then the nose, Jacob was wearing Esau's clothes that led to Isaac's smell being deceived. And one, one commentator pointed out, in a fitting judgment, Isaac ended up sadly deceived by the very senses that he sought to satisfy. He was deceived by the very senses that he sought to satisfy. Overall, Isaac had a huge lack of discernment. And yet God would even work through this human sin to accomplish his purposes. Look at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. So this is one of those scenes uh, um, where you have two doors, right? One character exits, one character enters. Like, boom, boom, really fast. Think like Kramer coming in on Seinfeld. Really fast, one exit, one enter, okay? This is like a, a stage, stage left, stage right. Boom, it's happening really fast, right? As the narrator, we know that what's happening, so the audience knows what's happening. Isaac and Esau have no clue what has just happened. Verse 31, Esau also prepared delicious food, brought it to his father. He said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And his father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. And then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate all before you came? I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. 
So Isaac knows what was just done cannot be undone. And he is absolutely shattered. But God's word has come to pass. The younger of his sons was blessed just as was prophesied prior to their birth. In verse 33, says that Isaac trembled very violently. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse gives a great description of what that actually looked like in the Hebrew. He says this, Isaac put his personal love of Esau ahead of the will of God. Down came his idol and the edifice of willful love collapsed before the shaking power that took hold of him. The arrogant pride which had slyly planned to thwart God toppled to the ground, broken beyond repair. When Isaac trembled exceedingly, all of his desires were shattered. So Isaac knew God's word had won out and Jacob was truly the blessed of God because God's word always wins out. It never fails. It always will be accomplished. Verse 34, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. So Isaac can see clearly now that he's been duped. And for the first time, it seems like Esau is understanding the gravity of the situation and about the inheritance that he has lost. And this is, this is not just a little bitty tears that Esau is crying here. It says this is major weeping. This is a crying out before his father, a tearing of the clothes, deep grief. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Before he cheats, he's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all of his brothers I've given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I've sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? He's like, I've got nothing else for you. And Esau said to his, his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So he's completely undone. He's he's swimming in a sea of of grief and loss. And so Isaac knows he doesn't have another blessing to give him, but he tries to muster up something anyway for this son that he loves so much. And this is what comes out, is actually an anti-blessing. It's a curse. Verse 39 Isaac, his father, answered and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, away from the dew of heaven on high. This is the exact opposite of what he said to Jacob, right? He's like, you get no land, you get no rain, you get no fruit, you get no harvest. By your sword, you shall live. A violent life Esau would live for the rest of his days, and you shall serve your brother. You're going to be subservient to your younger brother because God's word has come to pass. But when you grow restless, you'll have no peace. You shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau would live a life of no peace, of no blessing, and Isaac was only able to give him this negative blessing. Kent Hughes points out that everyone in the family sought the blessing of God without bending the knee to God. They sought the blessing of God without bending the knee to God. A lot of people want prosperity. They want health, wealth, and happiness, but they don't want to read this. They don't want to bend their knee to it. They don't want to submit their life to God's 
word, but they want his blessing. They want the best that he can give. When I was growing up, maybe it's not an old setting. Maybe you've heard it before. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Basically, if you make unwise decisions, you're going to get unwise results, right? Like bad choices lead to bad fruit. And this is what we see for Esau and for Isaac. Biblically speaking, you reap what you sow. That's what we're seeing. The rest of the chapter dishes out consequences for all of the characters. Look at verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Dad's about to die. And then I'll kill my brother Jacob. As soon as dad's dead, Jacob's dead. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. So first of all, like, Rebecca has eyes and ears everywhere, right? Like, she, she's, she's looking over her shoulder. She's looking around the corner of her own household all the time. She's got other people who are listening out for her. Can, can you sense the distrust and the dysfunction in the family? Like, um, in this household, in this tent? Esau is so violent of a man that he's comforted. Literally, he feels better because he's looking forward to murder his brother. Right? Like that, that's sibling rivalry at a fever pitch. It doesn't get worse than this. Jacob has got to get out of Dodge. And Rebecca knows it. Right? She, and Esau, notice it says, he, he says this to himself, but he didn't keep it to himself. He's going around telling people. That's why Rebecca heard about it. It's reached her ears. And so then she comes to Jacob and she's like, now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Never going to happen. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Sadly, as far as we know, Rebecca would never see her son that she loved again. What a consequence. She would never meet all of the many grandchildren that, that he would have because of this deceptive plan. And because it worked. God didn't need her scheming to bring about his word. He didn't need her help. Verse 46, then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite woman. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So chapter 27 ends how chapter 26 ended, bitter and angry over Esau's sinful choices. Rebekah doesn't want Jacob to be like Esau and marry one of the Hittite women. It would all be for naught if that happened, right? There's a few principles that we can learn here. The choices of children affect their parents greatly. The choices of children affect their parents greatly. And the choices of parents greatly impact their children. Basically, all of our choices have consequences. Whether they're good choices or bad choices, they have consequences. God doesn't condone the sinful choices in this passage, but he doesn't waste them either. He's so sovereign over it all that he can use sin 
for his good purposes. Even the sinful choices can be used by God for his glory and to accomplish his plan. But it's important for us to remember this, that sin is never good. You can never justify sinning. Even if it, it, like for example, you can't say, well, we know that like Bibles need to be smuggled in to this, this country. And I need to get in there. And so I'm going to lie and say, I'm not a pastor. I'm actually somebody else. That's choosing to lie and sin in order to accomplish something that is God's will. It's his will for people to get the word, right? God doesn't need you to do that. That's just one simple example. This story teaches us that our sins and our failures cannot stop God from keeping his promise or blessing his people. The original audience hearing and reading this for the very first time would have been reminded that absolutely nothing can stop God's sovereign plan. Absolutely nothing. And for us today, we need to rejoice in the main idea that God is faithful to accomplish his plans even in spite of human unfaithfulness. But God's faithfulness doesn't erase consequences. God's faithfulness doesn't erase the consequences of our unfaithfulness. Every single person in this narrative suffered for their sinful choices. Esau lost the blessing. Isaac failed to lead his family, and so he suffered a divided home. His wife and son lied to him. Rebecca schemed and secretly plotted behind her husband's back, and she lost her son. Jacob got the blessing but endured much for his lying ways. He had to run away from his family because his brother wanted to kill him. And he got a taste of his own medicine later when Laban, his uncle, tricked him multiple times. And then even later, his own children lied to him about his son being killed by a goat. Ironically. Kent Hughes said, God faithfully, God's faithful word, despite Isaac's opposition, despite Rebekah and Jacob's manipulation, and despite Esau's indifference, God fulfilled his word. We might not know what God is doing all the time. But one thing we do know is that he's always working. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know how he's doing it, but he's always working. There's no hero in this story besides God. And church family, tonight, I hope that we would be honest and admit that we've all made really stupid decisions. We, we've all lied We've all been self-seeking. We've all been self-trusting. We've all been self-serving. We've all sinned just like this family. We've all lived with the my do it mentality. And maybe you're still living that way. Maybe you still want your way way more than you want God's way. The amazing thing is that God can still save you. He can still bless you. He can still use you to bless others. Because you can't out God's grace. I'm so thankful for that truth. That God can still bring good out of all the bad. And where do we see this the most? But in Jesus' life. If you've never repented of your sin, he can still use you. You can turn to him today. Ian Duguid said this, that God is sovereign over all. He's sovereign over the darkest, the most selfish, the most destructive acts that you will ever commit or that others would ever commit against you. And he will use these to accomplish his good and perfect will in your life. 
So no matter what you've done, no matter what other people have done to you, no matter what your family might have done, maybe, maybe you've been manipulative. Maybe you've been manipulated. Maybe you've deceived your family. Maybe you've disrespected or dishonored your father or your mother. Maybe you've cheated your brother or sister. Manipulation, betrayal, lies, all of this was used against Jesus. But God used it to accomplish his redemptive plan. Dugan goes on to say, in spite of their sin, even though through their sin, God would still achieve what he planned. He would bring his promised redeemer, not from a picture-perfect parents, but from the offspring of a long line of sinners. Praise God that he can still use sinners like us, like you, like me. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sovereign. God's grace is sure. The undeserved blessing is made available to us because the curse we deserved was put on Jesus in our place. On the cross, Jesus absorbed our curse and graciously gave his blessing to the undeserving. God is faithful to accomplish his good plan and bring about his good purposes. We are called to trust in him. We're called to submit to his word, to believe that his way is right no matter what, even if we think we have a better plan. His plans never fail because God is faithful and he will accomplish what he says even when we aren't faithful. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you are faithful. I thank you that your word never returns void. I thank you that, that you don't need our help, but yet you still choose to use us, Lord, to, to share the gospel, to, to spread the glory of your name in all of the earth. And Father, I know that there are people in this room right now who live in a dysfunctional family. I know that, that there are people in this room right now who've experienced betrayal and lies and, and, and they've been cheated on or maybe they've cheated on someone in their family. God, and I know that there's broken hearts. I know there's division. Lord, but I know that you are the God of restoration. And I know that your plan is far greater than anything that we could come up with. It's far greater than, than any revenge we might seek. It's far greater than any scheme we could concoct. And I pray that we would trust you. Lord, I pray that we would rely on you, that we would look to you, that we would run to you, that we would fix our eyes on you, Jesus, knowing that you endured such betrayal and lies and scheming and plotting. And Lord, that you took our curse in our place. We praise you for that because now we can receive your blessing. And Lord God, I pray that we would receive it with open arms, open eyes, open ears, open hearts tonight. We need your grace. We need your love. All in the name of Jesus, we ask these things.